74% of junior doctors did not feel confident talking to their patients about nutrition. Diet and lifestyle advice is everyone's responsibility. I'm very much a believer of make every contact count. Hello and welcome to Slice in Time with me, Linda, host of With Limbs, What I Didn't Learn in Medical School, a platform for discussing topics crucial to health that are typically not taught, glossed over or approached from the wrong angles in medicine and public discourse. This is my final regularly scheduled episode for a little while, but remember to stay in touch by following my socials at Whitlands as I will still be posting and sharing relevant content. You'll also find comprehensive show notes for all episodes, recipes and more random things on my website lindadoes.com. Please note that this is a podcast for education and entertainment purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. In today's episode, I spoke to Nutritank founders Ali Jaffe and Dr. Ian Broadley. Their organization has really grown in the last few years and it was great to chat to some fellow lifestyle medicine enthusiasts. We discussed why it is so important for medical students and doctors to learn about nutrition despite their being dedicated to allied healthcare professionals such as dietitians, why it is proving challenging to get lifestyle medicine in UK medical school curricula, what culinary medicine and social prescribing involve as well as lots of information about what Nutritank is, has achieved, and the opportunities they provide. I was very grateful that Ali and Ian let me interview them, so let's get to it. Okay, so just starting off, would you be happy to introduce yourselves a bit to people that don't know you? Of course. So, ladies first. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Ali Jaffe. I'm a fourth year medical student at Bristol Medical School, going into my final year in a couple of weeks, uh, which will be September. And I'm the co-founder of Nutritank, which is an award-winning, innovative information hub for food, nutrition and lifestyle medicine. And I hope to pursue a career in psychiatry. So that's a bit about me. I'm a massive foodie and I love yoga. Lovely. Hello. It's my turn. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) My name's uh, Dr. Ian Broadley. That's uh, actually the first time I've said that on a recording. So that's quite nice. Legend. (laughs) (laughs) And I was at Bristol and I graduated somewhere between March and July. um, And I was an interim F1 brought in to help out with the healthcare crisis due to COVID. Um, I'm also the co-founder of NutriTank, which is now a think tank and network. We've got 25 medical school branches across the UK. And um, I'm really passionate about changing the healthcare system, the education system for medical students. Um, I'm a massive foodie and I love climbing, bouldering and yoga. And it's really kept me going, especially helped my mental health throughout the last five years, yoga and climbing. So I would definitely say to any medical student who's starting out their journey to try and do as much of that as possible. Mm, Great advice. I'm curious, do you find that since graduating and having the doctor title, have you used that to give any patients any lifestyle advice or anything like that? Not quite yet no I think it's very interesting to sort of be aware of when it is appropriate to give Mm. that sort of advice and the job I have at the moment hasn't really been appropriate to give diet and lifestyle advice as we've sort of learned throughout our time at Nutritank and within our extracurricular learning so no but um, within the 
research that we're carrying out. I'm sure Ali and I could talk about that a bit later. We have been practicing, so we are getting some practice in. Yeah, I'm contributing to it, but Ian's actually co-leading on a wonderful research project at Bristol around um, teaching medical students how to give diet and lifestyle advice. He's working mm. on it with a with our professor of primary care, so I'm sure he can tell you a bit about that as well, because that will essentially allow the future generation of um, doctors to be able to know when it is appropriate to give out diet and lifestyle advice and um, learn how to do it in a template uniform like fashion Mm. yeah it's important because I think that once people start to learn about lifestyle medicine they can get like quite overly excited and want to maybe tell everyone about it all the time but like you both said it's not always appropriate to come in and talk about those things so you need to kind of be able to judge the situation a bit as well exactly yeah exactly do you guys have any specific moments or any time that you remember where it kind of dawned on you that there is this massive gap in medical education. Like I know for me it was when I was kind of looking into managing my health personally and I came across all this stuff that, you know, they do talk about lifestyle in medical school, but it seems like it's kind of just a first line thing that you need to go through before you put patients on drugs and that it's not really something that like will help that much. Um, and do you have like a moment where you were like, oh, this is this is an actual thing? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think what happened was, um, so a bit of our backstory, I so I took a gap year before I started medical school and I was very interested in nutrition and started exploring it on that year out, just reading things, listening to podcasts and whatnot. And then when I arrived at medical school and you're in the first two years where you're learning the foundations of Um, clinical science I was just really shocked that we were only really learning around the physiology biochemistry and anatomy of the digestive system rather Mm. than actually looking at the incredible evidence basis when it comes to nutrition modifications as an intervention uh, to manage chronic disease but also as a means of prevention and not learning that practical application and how to actually engage with a patient around this topic I was really shocked especially because we were having consultation skills and little GP short placements um, already in the first two years and I just thought to myself I you know there's so many missed opportunities I saw with patients where I think it could have been really useful and so um, I started running a nutrition and medicine interest group at Bristol in my second year and as Ian was a postgraduate student he joined when I was in my second year and did the condensed course and he came along to one of the meetings and he stayed behind to talk at the end and he was just like wow I, I completely agree I've really seen this gap too and we just wanted to really solve the problem and really try and fill this gap um, by creating a national network and uh, community, which is what we did. Mm. Yeah, I, I would say exactly the same as Ali. It was it was really um, having time before coming to university that I was really engaged and activated towards um, how important diet and lifestyle was for um, health, for my own self and for other people around me. And then I had a couple of years before coming to medical school, I was doing startups um, to do with food and health. Um, I was running large-scale community organisations at university, and just through all of that prior experience, I just was already so like buzzing about the idea of how important 
diet and lifestyle was for health that when I came to Bristol I kind of hit the ground running and you know I was absorbing all this research all this papers that were out there on how important it was for chronic disease management and how it could almost you know put disease into remission and it was within those first weeks of joining Bristol I was looking into it I was like this is you know I'm going to lectures and seeing that actually there wasn't anything on diet as part of the management plan you know you would get the lectures on all the pharmacology you would get the lectures on the anatomy and then when it came to sort of preventative medicine there was a you know huge gap and it was very traditional medical education uh, very biochemistry heavy which is it's absolutely essential obviously biochemistry to understand the physiology and foundation as a as a medical uh, student but it just did not have the essentials of being able to talk to patients about diet and lifestyle. So we met very naturally, myself and Ali, and the rest is what we've done over the last three or four years. Do you have any like niche interests or any main thing that you've learned that's been very surprising in terms of lifestyle medicine? I think my absolute passion and area of interest is the area of nutritional psychiatry Mm. which is a newly emerging field that's only been around for the last 10 years and kind of being spearheaded over in Australia especially by a woman called Professor Felice Jacker who I'm now working with on an exciting uh, digital project around nutritional psychiatry I think intuitively I've, I've always got a sense that food and mood are related but I think so often it's overlooked and um, once again, missed opportunities happen where uh, patients, for instance, who, as, as I said, I want to pursue a career in psychiatry, patients who have psychosis and get put on really strong antipsychotics and then have all the kind of metabolic um, detrimental effects as a result of the antipsychotic medication and have uh, increased problems due to that and increased weight you know, nutrition interventions is so paramount there. And the link between food and mood is just also absolutely mesmerizing in the sense that we know now that even as kids, um, the impact of junk food uh, over a long period of time can shrink your hippocampal volume. And there's such amazing research around it. So I'd say that's definitely the area I'm I'm most passionate about. Mm. That's amazing, Ali. So for me, I think, especially over the last year, the area I've really put a lot of um, my time and attention to has been um, developing an educational toolkit for the medical schools, for maybe our own branches, on the skill and art of self-care activation, which is sort of a subset of lifestyle medicine. And it's, it's the skill of being in clinical consultation with a patient or a client and unlocking their potential and recognising that they have a key role in the self-management of their own condition and drawing out skills and confidence for them to do so. You're there as a facilitator, as a, as a listener, to be able to draw out that potential that they may not know. It's less paternalistic and it's more, it is basically a health coach role, yeah. but um, with a clinical mindset and within a clinical time frame as well. And the idea is that you can teach medical students this really key skill and they can act like public health ambassadors within you know, their time at medical school this is being developed, obviously, by Professor who I'm working with, Professor Trevor Thompson at Bristol. It's still in the sort of early stages, but it's a really exciting place to be uh, working in. 
And also other medical schools have also started to look at this too. This really is starting to become something really heavily researched. That's so exciting. I really hope that comes to all medical schools because it should be part of it for everyone. Do you know what's really good about it? As a medical student, I'm Mm -hmm. sure both of you will agree, and lots of people have, but you find yourself sitting in clinics, you find yourself walking around hospitals, a lot of the time shadowing, a lot of the time... Passive. Something very passive. And we can't say, it's obviously too early to say it's going to be rolled out straight away, but to have a skill that you're taught that you're actually allowed to do gives you so much more of a you can actually do something rather than just sitting passively yeah you gives you a purpose exactly exactly absolutely oh for sure and I think it's so important as well to to learn how to give advice properly because to to strike that balance between judging versus empowering Mm. or well it should be all empowerment and no judgment really but I feel like often when there is some teaching on lifestyle medicine it can come across as quite judgmental and stigmatizing in many ways, mm-hmm. which I don't think is the way to go at all. And of course, it should be empowering and all about involving the patient, like you say, and making them a key player mm-hmm. in their care as opposed to, you know, telling them like you should stop smoking, you, you need to it eat doesn't work. and all that stuff. No, it doesn't work. And there's research to prove it as well. So. It's the writing reflex. Exactly. It doesn't work. You have a lot of research projects on but you had this paper published mm-hmm. in the bmj mm-hmm. and you also posted an infographic on instagram well the paper was called time for nutrition and medical education and the statistics they didn't really surprise me but it was still quite shocking to see the difference in what medical students want to be able to do versus what they feel able to mm-hmm. do um so i was wondering if either of you or both of you maybe wanted to comment a bit on your findings from that because i think they're quite telling so this paper was really important for our um, niche, you know, our mission, because it's the first time the views of medical students have been synthesised and junior doctors in the UK about nutrition education. I think a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about it, but this was the first time it was actually synthesised and put together into a really mm-hmm. comprehensive paper. It gives a really good oversight of what the general feeling is across so many different sites and actually with a really large number of participants, almost 800 participants. So yeah, it was really, really important. (laughs) Yeah, just to comment further, the thing that was most striking for us, um, one of the stats we got from our surveys is that 74% of junior doctors did not feel confident talking to their patients about nutrition. And within that, 75% thought it was due to a lack of knowledge rather than a lack of time and that just kind of shows that it really is about education and you know we're not saying put a whole new um kind of module within a curriculum we're saying just integrate it as you learn each specialty so that you know people can increase their confidence in being able to deliver this type of advice and make Uh, meaningful help the patient make meaningful changes to their life so it really shows that the skeptics out there it's not due to a lack of time and our doctors are always busy they have time for that they do they just need to be taught it so that it's an automatic thing in their toolkit an automatic tool that they can go to to advise patients upon in the same way they would when it comes to medications and rehabilitation and that kind of thing and one of the really important conclusions from the paper was that it was just showing that we really need to 
we need to get nutrition and diet advice into assessments so that the learning is assessment driven. And this is really a key challenge, I guess, for our mission. Um, Because if you're not actually going to put it into assessment, sadly, a lot of the learning done by medical students and doctors is this going to be in my exams? Because if it's not, then sometimes it just gets missed off. So um, I think that was one of the main conclusions from the paper. Um, We are hoping to help work on that um, with our coalition collaborating organisations, MedPro, Colouring Medicine. Um, Yeah. Mm. In terms of developing standardised teaching that could be used for assessment, you know, in terms of what diet is optimal for health and Mm -hmm. so on, would would, you think that we should be teaching something standardised or more like general principles? I guess there is already a standardised um, already given by sort of dietetics and BDA. Um, mm-hmm. However, from a sort of clinician's point of view, if you haven't got so much time in, in your appointment, you can give quite simple nutritional advice, but it's more sort of a case of sort of unlocking the potential for a patient to just change one or two big things in their diet, not like get into the really nitty gritty specialist mm. sort of areas of nutrition and diet where you need to refer to a specialist or a dietitian or a registered nutritionist. Um, So, yeah, I think obviously it hasn't, we haven't got to that stage where we we are in assessments, but it is a good point. Sure. That's fine. I was just curious. And I think they're just general principles that people aren't really aware about, like Mm. having a diverse range of vegetables and fruits in your diet. So you're not eating the same thing every day, giving your gut microbiota a variety of different plant fibers, as well as eating seasonally, eating the rainbow, getting as much color on your plate and, um, you know, trying to eat whole grains where possible and avoid refined carbohydrates. I think even those simple Mm. things you can say to a patient could really help them because so much of the time they don't realize what easy swaps can be made. It feels really challenging, but if you could just say, well, why can't you replace white rice with brown rice or a different kind of grain that has more fiber content, um, because fiber is something that could definitely be improved by so many within the UK population. And so to just Mm. make that, what that's what we're trying to do, that kind of one change that make every contact count. You can just advise a patient to make one change, whether it's fiber or having more healthy fats in their diet you don't have to kind of deal with it all at once but there's always something you can do I think no totally you also mentioned culinary medicine I love the idea of it would you be able to talk a little bit more about that sure of course so we are in a formal nutrition implementation coalition called the Nutrition Implementation Coalition, and <laughs> it consists of ourselves at NutriTank, Culinary Medicine UK, a nutritional think tank in Cambridge called NEDPRO, which is the Global Centre for Nutrition and Health, and another organisation called ERIM, based in Brighton, Sussex Medical School. And our four organisations formed this coalition so that we could all work together, realising that collaboration is so much better than competition. And there's so many moving parts to a nationwide systems change in the medical education landscape that we all came together. 
and we all met over the years our connection with curry medicine um started i'd say three four years ago um we're close friends with dr rupi orgula also known as doctor's kitchen we were talking to him in the very early stages about his plans with culinary medicine and we were like what if we could get culinary medicine approved by bristol teaching staff as a student selected module mm. this was summer three years ago so we made the introduction between rupee um who's one of the directors of culinary medicine and professor trevor thompson our also very close colleague at bristol they essentially found a way to get culinary medicine in as a pilot for Bristol medical students and myself and in and around eight or nine other students participated in it. And it was absolutely wonderful. We were in Trevor's GP clinic called Wellsprings and it happened to have a teaching kitchen. And so we essentially had nutrition education teaching delivered by a dietitian, Rupi the GP, and this wonderful chef, Tina. We discussed all the theory beforehand, whether the topic was on fats or how to do healthy swaps, whatever it was. And then we would make a meal in line with that and then all sit around together afterwards and eat the meal and just discuss uh, general nutritional queries. And it was an absolutely fantastic experience. And we're working with culinary medicine to try and get it into more medical schools so that more students can benefit from this type of education so that it can really be given a lot of value. So it's in UCL. They did a pilot for the entire year five year group, which was really great. So it's now integrated into their primary care teaching rather than just a special choice module. It's a brilliant organisation. Very happy to work with them. That's amazing. And do you think that there can be a role for doing that sort of teaching with patients and people in the community as well? Definitely. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I think social prescription is the big one here. In an ideal world, GPs would be able to, you know, because so many like myself and Ian and lots of other kind of medic friends that we mix with, I guess we're kind of in a bubble and love to cook and really give good recipes to our patients. But time will obviously be the main hurdle there. And so I think social prescription allows you to really get the patient what they want by giving them access to an activity such as cooking from scratch and having lessons around it. But it's um, someone else who facilitates that and you refer them on to the link worker. So um, I think it's a brilliant thing that we'll see more and more in the future. Yeah. Mm. No, it really has worked, social prescribing. It's like reduced maybe up to like 60% of GPs' workloads in this area because, you know, it's giving patients a different option than going to their GP. And, you know, they can go to exercise class, they can go to community cooking. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's really powerful. For anyone that doesn't know what social prescribing is, how would you define it? It's mainly something that we talk about in the arena of primary care. I'm the GP and I am sat with Mr. Bloggs who has pre-diabetes and is wanting to really take a stance and look at diet modification to make sure he gets out of the range of pre-diabetes with his blood sugar levels. I could then refer him to a link worker who is the kind of middleman that is aware of all the community activities going on within that region 
find out what suits Mr. Bloggs and what his preferences are, whether it's an exercise class or something less formal, like a gardening class where you're still kind of moving your body, mm. um, and whether he's interested in learning how to cook from scratch, and then you'd refer them on to that community programme. But it all starts off with the GP referring in the first place, and it's all obviously for free. Amazing. Thank you for that. Nutri Tank has been up to so many different things. It's definitely grown so, so much since the start. What are some of your highlights and favourite things that you've achieved? Like you mentioned, we're really proud of the BMJ Time for Nutrition Education paper that we worked on with a lot of members of the coalition as well. Even more recently than that, in the last month or so, we had a letter come out in The Lancet called Metabolic Health and COVID-19, a call for greater medical nutrition education, which was a really exciting triumph for us because uh, we were able to talk about how now with this pandemic and the fact that so much has been attributed to poor metabolic health and it being linked with worse COVID-19 outcomes, why nutrition education within medical training is so important. Mm. So we're really proud of that. And it references the BMJ piece. Absolutely, exactly. It was quite weird referencing our own paper in a paper. Mm. (laughs) And then Ian can tell you about our amazing sellout national conference we had on nutrition and medical education in March at the Royal Society of Medicine just before COVID hit hard. Um, Ian, what were your highlights of that day with our conference? We've got a fantastic team who work with us, Juliet and Tally, who are part of our core team, and they've helped us so much. The title of the event was Food, Nutrition, Health, and Medical Education, and it was a collaboration between ourselves and the Royal Society of Medicine. You know, it's a, it's a new field, nutrition within medical education. Mm-hmm. To have that actually at the Royal Society of Medicine was, it's a big step. It's a really good milestone. So we had speakers... Daniel Del Rio, a leading researcher in the gut microbiome. We had Jenny Rosborough, who's registered nutritionist, head of nutrition at Jamie Oliver Limited, and Professor Samantha Ray, the chair and executive director of the Nedpro Global Centre for Nutrition and Health, who we are collaborating with. And he talks about cardiovascular disease prevention. We had Elaine McKinnick, who's a dietitian, medical student lecturer at Brighton Sussex Medical School. She gave a fantastic lecture about how, as clinicians, we can refer to dietitians and when we need to use them. And we also had Professor Trevor Thompson, who gave a whole workshop to our delegates on self-care activation. The whole day was based on, in the morning, you had the theory, sort of bird's eye view of public health. Then you went into sort of nitty gritty nutritional science. Then uh, mid part of the day, you had clinicians like Dr. Peter Foley talk about how you can actually use lifestyle medicine in the remission of type 2 diabetes. And then you had Trevor Thompson later on the day, and he got a patient on the phone who he and his colleagues had helped get his diabetes into remission through lifestyle changes. Mm. So we had all the way from the science and the public health aspect all the way through to actually working on a personal level. And then after that, our delegates getting taught and that practice in how to give lifestyle advice. The whole day came together really, really well. We're always grateful for all the support we get from um, commercial organisations to educational organisations. It's just really great how many people have our back. And I think... 
in probably our biggest highlight was when we won last year BBC Food and Farming New Talent Award which was absolutely mental because it was presented to us by our hero and good friend Jamie Oliver and it was just an amazing moment to be recognised not just by Mm. the medical world for our work but actually the food and farming world you know we should all be working in collaboration together and not be siloed off into our separate industries so yeah massive highlight for us amazing it definitely fueled us up to keep us going you know definitely we don't often get huge amount of um, recognition I would say and sometimes it is very hard to see if you know senior colleagues or organizations are thinking oh actually this is something we need to change but to be recognized by such a prestigious award and by the BBC that really really meant a lot I was going to talk a little bit about, you know, after some of your successes, challenges that remain in terms of this entire movement and things that you'd like to address going forwards. One of the challenging things within the UK is that we have a mission to increase and improve nutrition, lifestyle medicine, education within medical training. Every single medical school is different. Every single medical school has their own way of doing things. Yeah. So it's very heterogeneous. We're very lucky at our medical school because we have some really great teachers who are really aligned with our mission. Other medical schools have a a very different way and maybe they'll get very small amount of um, hours to do with anything to do with nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So that's definitely one of the challenges. Mm. Literally exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. We're very in sync in and I. (laughs) Yeah, it, it is really tricky because when you have such a fragmented medical education system it's really hard to make widespread change fast even with all the momentum in the world because you just have to kind of have so many different conversations with so many different stakeholders to see progress but you know we're very hopeful that things are really starting to get off the ground um yeah we're very hopeful and with our coalition I think we've got more achievements to come Mm. Yeah, I I definitely feel a lot of optimism. The movement's growing day by day and more and more people are finding out about all the benefits. And I think that a lot of medical students and healthcare professional students are themselves finding out about this stuff. And even if the medical school isn't always supportive or it doesn't provide opportunities, a lot of people are teaching themselves things. So, you know, that's great to have organisations such as NutriTank that can provide resources and so on. But When I talk about this sometimes to people as well, some people think that this is something that's more for allied healthcare professionals. I definitely think that there is a role for other allied healthcare professionals. And we spoke about, you know, how doctors can at least talk a little bit about it and not maybe not get down into the nitty gritty stuff. But how do you guys feel? Do you think that self-directed study and so on in the meantime is enough to make us qualified to give advice? And do you think that this is a job that doctors should be doing in the future? What are your thoughts on that? I'm very much a believer of make every contact count. And say, you know, a middle-aged man who has poor health-seeking behaviour and they finally do get to their GP and they do go in for their appointment, that might be their only interaction with a healthcare professional. So for a GP to be able to give some useful, meaningful advice around nutrition and lifestyle to perhaps plant the seed in that gentleman's head that there is something that he can do on his own and it can be empowering and he can have support, you know, if should he want to actually pursue this lifestyle modification from dietitians and specialists, but to actually 
be that GP who kind of sets them off on that trajectory, I believe is so important because mm. unfortunately we have a shortage of dietitians in the UK. There's huge wait lists. So we're working with a model that means that GPs are the, the gatekeepers of health. And so I really believe they need to be equipped with the tool of giving patients start and lifestyle advice. And at the end of the day, people can say, oh, it's for allied healthcare professionals. But then, you know, they need to tell NICE to rewrite their guidelines because the first line management of every chronic condition is for that clinician to offer patients start and lifestyle advice. And the fact that it's already not being done and compulsory within training is a massive disconnect because that's what the guidelines express. Oh, I love that answer, absolutely. Bit sassy, Soz. No, it's true, it's true. <laughs> Diet and lifestyle advice is everyone's responsibility. Mm. Doctors do have a role because they are part of the MDT team and I would agree with everything that Ali's just said about that. I totally agree and I think that especially you know the example that Ali said with every contact counting and especially for people that don't attend or maybe you catch them at a time where they're being diagnosed with a condition or something where they might be more motivated to make changes. Obviously a lot of people will be graduating without having had nutrition and lifestyle teaching in medical school they'll be self-taught in these things or just have discovered stuff that they will be basing their advice on. Do you guys think that is enough to give qualified advice? Do you yourselves feel confident enough? Do you have any tips for people that don't feel quite confident but would like to be and the medical school isn't providing that sort of teaching? Join our webinar series because we've got the most amazing webinar series which we really want to plug now. By the time this um, uh, podcast comes out, we'll be a little way through, but there still will be, hopefully, speakers each week. So I think even in November, we'll have that. Yeah, we're starting now August to November. It's called Fill the Gap, Nutritank Nutrition and Lifestyle Medicine webinar series. And we've got a clinician or an academic or a dietitian in every specialty area talking about the nutritional science relevant for that area and its application so that we're really filling the gap within medical education and how each specialty is taught. So I think that would be an amazing resource, freely available even after the webinar series ends. If you're a member already, or you'll have to buy our membership if you can't catch it live. A lot of our senior colleagues don't really like the idea of medical students teaching themselves things because the more kind of professional input you can get and the more time you spend shadowing dietitians and learning from them, being a part of your Nutritank branch where experts are delivering the teaching and seeing what special choice modules are involved and if there's a culinary medicine special choice module or something similar, the more qualified I think you are to give that advice because you've actually done something that's credible. I think teaching yourself is always a bit tricky Mm. and less standardised and you can kind of say the wrong thing, I think. There's some very good online courses that we have on our website. One of them is the NEDPRO International Academy of Nutrition Educators course. It actually uses courses from Monash University as well as from Society for Nutrition Education and Behaviour and you'll find all those courses on our website anyway. If you're thinking, okay, where do I start, then our website's a great place to begin your journey. And what's the address of your website? I'll put in the show notes as well. Uh, Nutritank.com. It also has all of the speakers from our conference in March 2020. It will also have all the recordings from our webinar series, Fill the Gap. Amazing. What does membership get you and how much does it cost for students? 
£2 a month, the first two weeks free. It will give you access to a whole network of medical students on our online chat rooms. It will give you access to exclusive research opportunities, hundreds of pounds discounts for online courses. It'll give you discounts to organisations like Move GB, Fitness, as well as yoga. Yeah, Hot Pod Yoga we've got a relationship with. So we're trying to make, you know, wellness as accessible as possible for students. So, yeah, sign up. Um, also, listen to our podcast. I am currently hosting it. It's called Nutri Tank Nourish Your Mind. And we've just had a brilliant student sequence series that um, takes you through a lot of the amazing nutrition education research that medical students themselves have done. When they've done masters or intercalated BSCs. And you can really find out what their research um, presented. And it's just really incredible to see different uh, regions kind of doing the same projects and how it's all being joined up. Mm. Um, so yeah, definitely recommend our podcast. Um, and if you do listen to it, give us five star and leave a review. <laughs> For sure. And I also find that your Instagram is great in terms of just quick accessible information and little infographics and things too oh yeah we've got an amazing team we would not be here if it wasn't for our social media manager isha who is a ucl student she's a legend she holds it all together each tank underscore official is our instagram by the way to our lovely listeners twitter nutritank underscore info and linkedin is nutritank cic you can also follow Ian and I as well on LinkedIn and see what we're up to on a personal level. And yeah, get very involved with us. We have 25 branches all around the UK. There are some medical schools which still need a branch. We still need medical students to start a branch at those medical schools. And if you are interested, then definitely reach out and find your branch and get involved in the education. There's going to be tons of ways you can get involved. Join the mission. We have started a Junior Doctors Nutritank Champion Network. So if you're interested, drop us a message and we'll connect you to Dr. Emma, who's leading on the network and getting different junior doctors in each deanery to be part of it. So there's still opportunities post-medical school. This podcast is called What I Didn't Learn in Medical School. So I know we've already spoken about these ideas in general, but what is one thing or one, one idea that you really like to emphasise that you wish is something that people focus more on in medical school or that medical education was more focused on? I think self-care and resilience training in a more kind of structured, non-airy-fairy, standardised way, teaching medical students ways around nutrition and lifestyle medicine for their own self-care in order for them to also teach that to their future patients I think is really really important. Yeah for me it would be self-care activation and in being able to take a diet and lifestyle history from a patient in clinical practice and then being able to use your skills of self-care activation in, in unlocking their potential to manage their own condition or prevent chronic disease also the fact that chronic disease can be put into remission or sometimes reversed through diet and lifestyle with help of a healthcare professional. Thank you guys so much for those ideas and for the conversation in general. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Thank you for having us and to any medical student who has an idea that feels really big, just go with it. 
it can lead to really great things and you can make a huge change and you can make amazing people along the way. I think another thing I wish I'd learned in medical school, which Ian and I have kind of taught to ourselves is clinical entrepreneurship. Um, I think healthcare entrepreneurship is an amazing skill to learn. It's really important that medics can see how they can be innovators and change makers within the healthcare system themselves and not just service providers and really take an active role in the system. Thank you for having us, Linda, and I really hope the rest of the podcast goes really well. Thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you so much. And that's our episode, our final episode. Ah. So first of all, let me just remind you that you can find all the details of the papers discussed in the episode as well as the NutriTank socials in the show notes. The Fill the Gap webinars may not be ongoing depending on when you're listening to this, but do check out what else is going on. As a student representative for Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, let me also remind you that we are running free fortnightly webinars which are relevant for anybody interested in lifestyle medicine and nutrition and suitable for students too. And finally, what is next for Woodlands? So first of all, I can't overstate how overwhelmed and happy I've been with the response in starting this little project over summer. I bought a microphone, or rather my parents bought me a microphone, so shout out to my parents. (laughs) I worked out all the technicalities of hosting a podcast, I networked with all of my amazing guests, and I've been the only person editing each episode, which takes a long time. I've put in a lot of work into each episode with the goal to at least help one or two people learn something new and I've definitely reached that goal. I've had more than 2,000 listens and I am just so grateful to all of you because I'm so very ridiculously passionate about holistic healthcare and evidence-based lifestyle medicine approaches because they really do work and I love sharing the science behind it and practical tips with you all. However, I need to spend a little less time on Woodlands and a little more time on final year of university just now though. So I will be taking a break from releasing episodes weekly. There may be a solo Sunday or two popping up if I can find the time and I definitely will still be active on the Woodlands Instagram and Twitter so be sure to follow those. In the meantime, I've got lots of old podcast episodes you can listen to. And I am also all ears in terms of feedback. Please tell me what else you would want me to cover on the show once I'm back. I've got lots of ideas, but I'm always looking for more. If you can, please give the show a review on whatever platform you're using and share it around, spread the word. With all that being said, thank you so much if you've listened all the way to here. I hope you have the loveliest of days no matter where you are and what you're doing. I hope to be back chilling out in your ears in the not too distant future. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.